I think one of the reasons in the early years, just to pick up on that exact sentence, you know, of unique self, why it ran into such opposition is because people had a hard time, particularly spiritual teachers, and disambiguating, you know, you know the, the distinction, you know, between ego and unique self. And lots of the reason was an inability to hold paradox, a kind of, you know, inappropriate neo-advaita either-or thinking, which didn't really hold the paradox, you know, and the paradox is, I'm not just, the paradox is so important here because in paradox, you know, in other words, you know, the Garden of Eden, you know, my teacher once said, is not paradise but paradox. Yeah. You know, it's a, and I'll just give you one great example of it just to get, get the quality of paradox. So there's an unbelievable story, Ken, which appears in the Zohar, the Aramaic text, and I love the Aramaic text of the Talmud. Right. It's an elliptical story, not really commented on a lot, which calls David, King David, the Batchana Damalka in Aramaic, the gesture of the king. So why is he the gesture of the king? Because David says to God, hey, God, you know, you know um, the word in Hebrew is Naseni, test me. And God says, you know, in his best Bill Cosby voice, you know, I don't think so, not a good idea. And David says, no, come on, God, test me. You know, and God says, no, I don't think so. And David just insists. So God says, okay. And so David's that night on his rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba, you know, bathing, you know, unclothed. And the whole Bathsheba and David story unfolds in which, you know, the end of the story is, you know, Bathsheba inappropriately becomes David's wife. Her husband's killed, you know, and, and David commits a number of kind of, you know, cardinal cardinal, you know, life mistakes. Right. And so then God says to him, you know, you see, you know, I told you not, not to have you tested. It wasn't a good idea. And David says, well, what do you mean, God? You said I'd fail the test. I said I'd succeed the test. You're the master. I'm the servant. So I failed. Right? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so the, the, the Zohar says, and for that reason, David's the gesture of the king. So I remember when I first read a version of that story in my lineage master, Mordechai Leiner of Izvaka, you know, who is the, the source of all the unique self and non-dual humanism work, not of the post kind, but, you know, within the metaphysical traditions. So, you know, you know he, he, he cites the story a lot and never explains why he cites the story. And then, you know, kind of one night, you know how that is when you're, when you're deep inside of a text, one night, like, you know, ten years after seeing the story for the first time, you know, I'm a little slow on the uptake. I realized, oh, this is about freedom and determinism, of course. And the point is, it's the paradox of choicelessness. You know, you're both choosing all the time, you know, and you're not choosing. It couldn't have been any other way, you know, kind of what Krishnamurti, you know, loves to call choicelessness. And that, that's the paradox. So the paradox really is total divine pride and total humility, right. total audacity and total surrender, you know, in the precise same moment. And I think that's the demarcating characteristic in terms of levels of consciousness, how you can distinguish between someone who's genuinely living their unique self and someone who's caught in some egoic hijacking of unique self. Right. It's a nice uh, distinction. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's um, that, that um, denial um, we see... Um, you know, present in, in the denial of the, of the unique self as, as, as well. And uh, in some cases, it's just um, uh, just a flat-out mistake um, because um, some of these things, you know, um, do sound contradictory and um, we, we um, you know, have, have to just 
simply hear an explanation to go, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. I agree. That's fine. Um, and other cases are driven by, you know, a deeper um, dysfunctionalism almost, um, which, which is a, a failure to, to um, realize and deeply acknowledge um, the, the um, infinite nature of, of, the, of the genuine self and its, its unique nature appearing in each individual. Mm. Um, and so it's it's another, um, in some cases, just uh, an innocent mistake, and in some cases it's it's part of the structure of the lie that I'm caught in, um, vis-a-vis my my unique self. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a fantastic analysis, and 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 very very helpful. I mean, let, let me throw something at you that's kind of occurring spontaneously, and tell me what you think of it. Yeah. Um, you know that you know if we would apply the dissociation, disidentification, you know, discernment, right, to this issue. And I think what, what's often happened is when teachers or, or not to talk about individual teachers, but to talk about spiritual traditions or, you know, moments in spirit, when they don't disidentify from ego, but they dissociate from ego, right. that creates a kind of blindness, right? And that, you know, evolution, be, you, you know, you can never evolve beyond ego. What you can do is you can evolve beyond exclusive identification with ego. That's right. right. You, you can disidentify with ego, but when you dissociate from ego, when you when you demonize the ego, paradoxically, I think that you're blinded to unique self because you dissociate from anything that's unique. Yeah. Right. It's kind of an interesting, you know. You know, in other words, that when you teach a kind of radical, you know, you know, neo advice. Let's talk about that tradition, which is a beautiful and a holy tradition. And when it can be a neo advice tradition in Kabbalah or in you know, in, in, in a Hindu tradition, it doesn't matter who's doing it. It's that same moment. Yeah. You know, when you adopt that kind of position, which which completely bashes the ego, th- then you actually lose your ability to discern the contours of the individuated essence, you know, of the divine mind heart that lives in you and as you, because your dissociation really blinds you. Yeah, definitely. And that's and that's part of the whole uh, consideration that each individual needs to go through as they um, begin to um, honestly confront their their unique self. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. And, and, to, and really to make that discernment. And so, yeah, so we, we really identify denial of unique self, right, as a, as a fundamental matrix of shadow formation and pathology. Yeah. And, and, and you pointed out something else earlier. You know, when you talked about the... Um, Let's talk about two other things that you said and, 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 and share and, and get any response before we move on to the next topic. So one was, you know, Maslow's Jonah Complex, which is just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jonah, for the listeners, by the way, what Ken's referring to is Jonah, one of the, the books in the biblical canon, right, is asked by the divine voice to um, go to Nineveh and, and give a prophecy. And, you know, Jonah takes the next train out of town, right, actually at the seaport in Jaffa near where I used to live. Right, that's you know that's where he kind of took the next train, and he said, you know, I don't think so, God. I'm really not. Do- I'm really not doing this. And the text reads, You know, Jonah flees from being in the divine presence. And of course, whenever that happens, you wind up in a belly of a whale. You know, spit up at an, on an opposite shore. And so that that notion, you know, that that kind of the Jonah complex actually of Maslow takes on an enormously deeper resonance when you think of you know the Jonah mission 
being not merely self-actualization, which is critical, but actually, you know, Maslow's later, you know, understanding that you've talked about extensively, you know, self-transcendence. Right. That you have a unique expression of self-transcendence. So that's right. that kind of that kind of deepens our Jonah complex. But, right. but then on the practical front, the last point, you know, so what we could actually do is is put together this whole conversation, you know, and take the three two one of shadow, which is a kind of you know gold start module, as it were, you know, the heat in integral spiritual practice, in which you take shadow, you know, as you've integrated this practice from the great traditions, from third person to second person. You know, into first person, you realize, oh, you know, oh, that asshole lives in me, right? And that kind of, well, oh, okay. And and so that's a kind of integrating of shadow qualities, right, into you. And once you've done that, you can then go three, two, one, zero, and you can realize that those shadow qualities are actually expressions of your unlived life. Because you haven't lived your own unique life, so, for example, the shadow quality of, you know, stinginess. Right, or of jealousy, right, or of anger. You know, those might, might all come online, but if you trace those shadow qualities back to their root, to borrow a tantric phrase, what you'll wind up is the shadow qualities are unique. They'll lead you back to your unique, you know, shadow, which will lead you back to your unique self. And if I'm jealous because, oh, I'm jealous, I'm not jealous, I've never been jealous in my life, kind of a ballerina. Never happened, right? But, you know, sometimes I walk into, you know, a bookstore and I say, damn, Wilbur wrote another book? I'm going to die. How many did he do? Right? I thought I wanted to write about that. He did a better job. I hate him. Right? <laughs> you know, but then that beautiful sense where you kind of, and then when you kind of, you, you realize it, then you let go of it, and then you say, wow, man, I totally love that guy. He's totally awesome. Right? You know, but unless you do that, unless you can say, man, I can't believe he wrote that book on no boundary and he said it better than I can. I hate him. (laughs) Then you own it and you say, oh, my God, that was his unique self. I totally could have done that. That was his unique self. I get to benefit from that, and that actually will inform and create a scaffolding for me to create my unique self, which might be a unique self book, for example. But, But unless you do that, unless you do that, unless you take your shadow, which you live in three, two, one in first person, and you've got to go the next step, which is three, two, one, zero, which is follow your unique shadow back to your unique self. And we've done this over the last two, three years, you know, in processes. And Ken, it's just, it's just stunning. I know. I know. It's just, it's just stunning when you actually go from one to zero and you actually realize, no, that's, and it, you know, it's the yellow brick, unique shadows, the yellow brick road, you know, back to unique self. And I'm not sure, by the way, you know, Jung, you know, I've looked at the passages. Sometimes I think he got it totally. And sometimes I'm not sure. I mean, he totally got that shadow was, you know, a nexus into self. But sometimes he talks and, you know, sometimes he kind of gets a unique self kind of idea. And other times he kind of moves away from it. You know, and he kind of moves back and forth. So I can never quite figure out, you know, Jung's complex that way. You know, whether he really got a unique self or not. But he, what he didn't get was, which is interesting, he got so much and we're all in his debt in so many ways. You know, but what he didn't get was what I would call the virtue of unique self. You know, he, he used to say, I'd rather be whole than good. Yeah. You know, that's a major Jung quote. Uh, Hollis, James Hollis has a really good book where he talks about that quote. But, but actually, your unique self is your wholeness and your goodness together. Mm-hmm. Right? And that is, he had some idea, you know, which was based on his, what you called his, you know, his, his, his um, elevationist move. Right, in terms of archetype, he had some idea that you either you were going to be either whole, 
you know, or you're going to be good, right? And I think it was based on a certain mythic view of religion, which he viewed as making you good and not whole. Yeah. You know, and unique self actually invites you to your wholeness and goodness as one. Yeah. 